Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcrafts Revolve podcast. We're going to get to the show in just a minute, but before we introduce our guest and get down to business, we got to recognize a few of our friends that make this totally possible. I want to recognize Sig Sauer, uh, Sig Sauer, and that's the correct pronunciation, Sig Sawyer, Sig Sauer. Sig Sauer is a leading firearms manufacturer, and they are the makers of one of my favorite firearms out there, which is the Sig MPX. Guys, SIG and I, we go way back. Um, SIG Academy is the training branch of SIG Sauer. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. The first SIG pistol I ever purchased was an early SIG 226, which I stupidly sold. And I know that like DASA guns aren't as cool as modern striker fire pistols, uh, striker fire pistols like the 320 uh, or the 365. But man, that SIG 226 was a tank. And talking to buddies who are classic line armors, they say that you can rebuild those classic line pistols, the 220, 226, uh, 225, 228, 227, 229. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You can rebuild those over and over and over. So SIG is definitely a firearms manufacturer you want to take a look at. If you decide to go up to the training academy, you're going to get a chance to train with some of the best instructors in the world. And, you know, in this industry, I've met a bunch of cool guys, a bunch of uh, tier one folks, and I've met some folks with some seriously, seriously bad egos. I will tell you that the instructors up at SIG, they just want to see students do better. And they'll say, here's one way to do it. Here's another way to do it. Here's three or four more ways to do it. Find the one that works the best for you. There's no such thing as a one size fits all answer up there. And like I said, I've enjoyed my time training up at the Academy. So please check out sigsour.com. Check out sigsouracademy.com. Take a look at all the cool stuff they have to offer. Now, this next industry partner, uh, good friends of ours, it's Hoist. And right now, if you were to go into the Firebase, North Carolina Firebase refrigerator, you would see bottles of Hoist. Hoist has been kind enough to send us some of this good stuff, which really helps with rehydration. And out here in North Carolina, where the temperatures get really, really hot and humid, we see students all the time go from, you know, bright and alert to kind of haggard and a little like cloudy in the brain. Well, Hoist is one of those things, whether they're drinking the liquid version or they mix the powdered version of their drinks, it definitely, definitely helps bring them back. Uh, we're proud to, you know, represent Hoist. I have a Hoist banner up in our warehouse where we do our training uh, for the very reason I want people to just know about it. I swear by it. I mean, I'm a pretty active person myself. I also sweat like a pig. And after a good workout or training out here, good range day, where you just know you've lost pounds of water weight, Hoist is one of those drinks that definitely makes you, you feel better. So uh, please check out hoist.com and take a look at all the drinks that they have. There's one of their drinks, which is like an orange mango one or a peach mango. It's either orange mango or peach mango. I just know it has a mango in it and damn, that stuff is good. That's like the first one to disappear. And believe it or not, the watermelon one is really awesome. Like we've probably all had nasty watermelon stuff in the past. Well, the hoist stuff is pretty darn good. Um, Guys, check them out, hoist.com. They are used by a lot of elite groups, the military, high-performance athletes, you name it. And like I said, you are going to be pretty pleased when you see how you perform after you drink Hoist. Guys, uh, the last thing I'm going to bring up, we've got some really cool courses coming up. Uh, We have a new guest instructor series. We have three instructors I want to point out to you guys. Jason Smith is coming to Fieldcraft Survival North Carolina in Aberdeen on July 29th. He was on the show Alone, The Beast. He's a former SEER instructor as well as a former SF dude. Solid guy, he's been on this podcast before, so check that one out. We also have Alan Odinson, who's doing primitive and traditional archery. Alan is basically a modern day barbarian, and if you look up Odinson archery, you're gonna see all the crap that he can do with that bow. Dude shoots fast, he's hilarious. Really, really good instructor. Um, And even though he looks like a total badass, he's the nicest dude you'll ever meet. Uh, He's coming August 5th here to North Carolina. And the last one that we have currently on our site is probably one of the biggest names in the bow hunting industry, a legend in his own right, and that is Aaron Snyder. Aaron Snyder from Kafaru, 
another one of our good friends, one of the companies that I'm proud to represent and have been sponsored by for years, Kafaru. Um, Aaron Snyder's coming out, and that is going to be November 9th through the 11th here in Aberdeen. Uh, that course is going to sell out quickly. There are only 10 or 12 spots, I think 10, 10 spots available. So please come to that one. You're going to get three days of training with him. I'm going to be the AI for that course. It's going to be badass. So come and check it out. All right, guys, let's get down to this podcast. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Kevin Estella. I am currently drinking a cup of McDonald's McCafe coffee. Now guys, in the past, I've drank all different types of coffee. I actually don't mind this stuff. Um, sometimes a little bitter, sometimes tastes like it comes from the bottom of the, the pot. But I got a guest on the podcast today who I think you're going to appreciate. Probably someone who's consumed a few cups of coffee in his career. And this is a gentleman who I heard when we were at Street Cop Convention uh, or the Street Cop Convention a few weeks back, uh, myself, Casey, Casey's wife, Erica, and John. And we heard this one guest speaker come up talking about pre-fight indicators and you know what uh, the law enforcement officer should know about the folks that he's or she is, is speaking to. And I was like, I got to get this guy on the podcast. So I hit him up and here he is today, Sean Grogan. How are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm excited to have you on here because, you know, the vendors that were at Street Cop, you know, we're in the back of the room, but we had the opportunity to hear all of you guys talk. And, you know, on one hand, it was great in that we got a lot of information from all the presenters and the guest speakers and whatnot. On the other hand, you know, we only had these like 10, 15 minute windows to, uh, to sell our products and talk about what we do and all that. And granted, I love Dennis to death. Dennis is a total animal. Uh, what, what a good dude. Um, but I was like, man, you know, I, I didn't know what, what to expect from this place. Um, but I did appreciate listening to you and, and all the other speakers. So, uh, you know, you, you spoke about the pre-fight indicators and you got pretty animated up on stage. And I mean, I, I'll just put it this way. You had control of the crowd. I could hear them laughing at some of the things you had to say. Um, you know, because you guys had like certain cop humor, but, uh, let's just, let's just go like kind of do the bio of, of who you are, what you go out there to do. Um, because I know you're presenting pre-fight indicator lessons in like 30 something States right now. Um, so kind of like, just give us the, the brief bio of who you are. Okay. My name is Sean Grogan, which we already went over. I'm doing it like I'm doing it in a class. Yeah, man. I'm just regurgitating it. I'm a former special investigations detective from the People's Republic of New Jersey. He's also a canine handler and a gang investigator. I traveled to Europe and got training in facial expressions and other nonverbal communication. I'm also a certified trainer with the Bilanguage Institute down in Virginia. I used to work for Joe Navarro's Bilanguage Academy. And right now, I went over to Australia back in August. They're going to do a interactive academy with me around the, the globe. It's going to be an online academy for security and then one law enforcement. I'm a trainer for Street Cop. I do about 80 classes a year. I do a class on facial expressions and body language. I'm going to be switching that up. I'm going to do body language and then a full day class on pre-attack indicators because that's one of those things that I don't think we can ever get enough of. That's my background. Right now, this is all I do. I retired. I took what's uh, called early deferred retirement. So I left law enforcement to just do this full time. So I traveled the country. Like you said, you saw at the end of my presentation, I put up 30 states that I'm going to be going to this year. And I hit probably another uh, 10 of them already. When I go to Texas a bunch of times, I love the great state of Texas. Yeah, compared and, to uh, Jersey. there. <laughs> How compared to everything's <laughs> fucking better in this state. I mean, this is just a, a socialist republic at this point. Man, since you opened the door on on talking trash about Jersey, I got to keep it going. Uh, what's your favorite thing that you've heard about Jersey? Is it our armpit of America? I've heard that one. Uh, although I've heard that about Long Island. Um, you know, I heard Jersey. Let's see, like what, you know, people always say like, what exit are you off of? And, you know, I, I don't know. I think Jersey... Jersey got a bad rap with the Jersey Shore. There are some nice areas up there, Pine Barrens and everything like that. But uh, man, there that that Jersey. I mean, I, I don't I don't want to go into too much about it, but like there there's just like a Jersey crowd. 
that I'm like, Jesus, I, I feel like I'm going to get into a fight if I, if I talk to these guys. Um, <laughs> but do you like, what was your, do you have any pet peeves about Jersey? I mean, I know you can't travel there with a slingshot. You can't have hollow point ammunition. Um, I'm trying to think what are some of the other crazy things about Jersey that just make me try to avoid it as much as possible. Well, you're probably, you were about to say, well, this is what I always get. I get exactly what you said, what accident. And there's yeah. that smell when you come in from, from the south, coming in from Delaware, you roll your window to back when we used to have to pay the toll and you didn't have easy pass. But there's also the left turns from the right, the jug handles. And people have never been to Jersey and try to explain this. They're like, what do you mean? I, what do you mean I make a right from the left? I mean, a left from the right. Like you take a jug handle, like what the fuck's a jug? Handle? <laughs> you know, it's you know, you go off, it's like an exit, and then you swing around. We're too too overpopulated here for you to make the left from the left, so you have to go around. And that's part of the thing. It, the station is so overpopulated and overtaxed, like mm. ridiculously overtaxed. You know, you tell people from other states what we pay property tax, they lose their fucking minds. They're like, what do you mean? Like, where where does it go? I'm like, well, it goes to things. You know what I mean? Like it does go for service. I mean, cops get paid, firefighters get paid, teachers. I understand it's got to go places, but I mean, they tax the fuck out of everything. You used to have cheap gas. Then they screwed that up and they added tax on there and then they taxed it again. Um, and it's just some of the regulations Like you're talking about slingshots and stuff. It's just like the regulations here are just madness. And you guys can't pump your own gas, right? Like you still have to no. have someone pump it for you. Yeah, and I was in Oregon, which was the only other state that was left. And they said, you still, and when I pulled up the gas stations over there, I was there in February, and they, they were like, no, you can't pump your gas in March. I don't know where far. I'm just, I go so many places, bro, but not that it matters. I'm over there, and I'm like, uh, you guys still pump, the, you still can't pump your own gas? They're like, no, the rural areas, it goes by county or something like that. So most of the places, they still can't pump their own gas. And I like pumping my own gas. If I'm driving out, I'll wait till I'm in Pennsylvania to fill up. Why do I got to wait for the guy? Why do I have to sit in the car and wait for the guy to come over? I can't wait for him to come back. Can I just hop out of my car, pump my gas, and leave? But, I mean, it's good for, like, elderly people and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's got as good and it's bad. Yeah, we joke around. We call uh, – I mean, I'm originally from Connecticut, and I always say that you know, Connecticut, Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, it's all like occupied America. And then you go to places like parts of Pennsylvania, parts of Utah, right? Parts of Arizona, Texas, and that's free America, you know, and that's where you can have whatever you want. And, you know, it's second amendment states all the way. Um, now how did you get into police work? Like where did you, or when did you decide, was there a moment where you were like a little kid and you saw something and you said, damn, that's what I want to do because it seems like there is a gap between like your childhood and special investigations detective. So like, how did you make that decision? Well, so that's, I don't have the typical answer where <laughs> I grew up. I want to be a, I want to be a cop. That wasn't, that wasn't the case. I went in the Marines and when I came back, I worked at a water company as a laborer. And there were a few other guys that I was actually in Iraq with that worked there. And guess what they did? They took the civil service test and became cops. And they're like, dude, it's a great job. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm tired of working in five-degree weather in the winter, getting water sprayed on me from bursted water mains and digging holes. So, yeah, maybe I'll trade in this shovel for a gun as a badge. You know what I mean? And uh, that's and, and I loved it. It wasn't something like, like I said, not the typical. I grew up wanting to be a cop, but it wasn't my, my story at all. Now, where did you or how did you get from becoming a cop to getting all this training on body language and facial expressions and so forth? So I, I sucked that sucked that out. That sounds. <laughs> I sought that out. Yeah, I'm just making up words this morning. I sought that out myself. I was, I was reading a lot of psychology books. I want to figure out why people do what they do, say what they say. I read about uh, one book that talked about this Dr. Paul Ekman who came out with this facial action coding system, also known as FACTS, and how they developed, they realized there are seven universal emotions that come across the face around the world. And I'm like, wow, it's really interesting. I'm going to find training for this, right? And I figured there was something for law enforcement. So I ran over my computer. I typed in the word facial. I hit the enter button too quick. Some other things came up. <laughs> so then I went back and I typed in facial expression training for law enforcement. I couldn't find anything. 
I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, how's there's nothing out there? So I got that, the facts, the facial action coding system It's meant for researchers. It's not anything I could do anything with. Right. Um, so I said, I, I got a couple of the books he's written with his colleagues. And I was like, all right, this is good information, but there's only so much you learn in a book, right? You, you got to go out, you got to do it real time. So I found training over in Europe. I went over there. Not only did I get trained, I also got licensed with this information to bring back here in the States and teach it. I was just, it's not like a one-time deal either. I was just in Italy in February this year to go back and re-up licensing, which is really cool because you, you would think like, okay, when I went to England, that makes sense, right? They speak English in England. But when you go to Italy, that was in Milan, which is really an international city. And you go there and you got people speaking, you're going to a class in English and there's people from around the world, Hungary, obviously Italy, uh, Australia, I mean, they speak, you know, we had a, there was a conference after too. There were people from every, everywhere, all over the globe. Well, I think almost every continent, not Antarctica, the fucking Antarcticans refused to show up. <laughs> the, uh, the interesting thing with that universal, uh, expressions, I've heard that with kids, like there are certain universal fears, like every little kid is afraid of, of loud noises. Um, Aside from expressions and universal fears, are, they in, are there any other universal like human behaviors um, that, you know, transcend like one culture to another? Well, there's things I, that are seen in a lot of cultures. I don't know if they're 100 percent universal, such yeah. as the shoulder shrug for uncertainty I mean, that's not the only reason people shrug their shoulders right people have their shoulders up and down real quick popping up and restrained excitement what do i mean by that well when you're a kid a lot of times people are like oh we're going to the park you throw your hands in the air well we don't do that anymore it's not like oh we're going to the bar we don't throw our hands out yes we're going to the bar it might be like, yeah we're going to the bar and they pop up real quick and back down so it's not always a shrug then the seven universal emotions that show up in the face each one of those, uh, Ackman and his colleagues found there to be seven universal triggers. What do I mean by that? It's a broad sense of why the emotion happens. So for surprise, it'd be an unexpected stimulus. You talk about fear, it's a threat of harm. Mm -hmm. So each one of those seven universal expressions has that universal trigger for it as well. Hmm. The... Uh... I'm trying to remember, I think her name was, uh, is it Amy Cuddy? She talks about like the power pose, you know, how you look at the Olympics and when people win, they always put out their arm, like they puff up their chest. And she says how mm -hmm. like human beings in the animal kingdom, like animals, when they want to show their dominance, they puff up their chest. They, they get into this like expanded mode, you know, um, is that something that's also included like in your studies or you've come across like that, that idea of like how people assert power or dominance? Yeah, you'll see people stand that way as far as I've heard it referred to as hands and kimbo pose. What is hand, uh, hands and kimbo? Akimbo. Okay. A-K-I-M-B-O. I refer to it as superman mm -hmm. or superwoman pose, you know, that hands on the hips. But then if you turn the hips the other way, I'm sorry, not the head, you can't turn them. If you turn the hands the other way with the thumbs to the front, you see that occur a lot when people are kind of curious if uh, anyone that's been in law enforcement, you get those neighbors that come outside after something occurred in the neighborhood. You get a lot of people standing that way. But back to your question about standing that way as far as a power pose or, or highly confident with the animal kingdom puffing out the chest type thing. There's certain poses depending on culture, too, that you might say is a more powerful pose. So in the United States, think about how most people stand People don't know what to do with their hands very often. They'll cross their arms, put them in their pockets. But putting their hands behind their back, mm -hmm. you'll see, I've noticed a lot in our culture, in the U.S., is something usually you have someone, it, it could be their baseline behavior, they just like stand in that way, but also people that have high-ranking status in society, the best way to word it, if you have someone that's a CEO of a company, president of a company, they get someone that, they're they're in charge of a sheriff, uh, a director of a police department, a, a chief, with the hands behind the back. What your hand, you're pretty much giving your whole ventral front vital organs. You're not there to protect yourself. However, it's very culturally relative. You'll notice Ukrainians, Italians, 
Asian Indians, they'll stand that way out of habit. That's how it's just a cultural difference you'll see for, with people from those countries. You don't see that much here in the U.S. If you go out and you pay attention, how many people have their hands behind their backs like that, especially for an extended period of time. I was somewhere it was yesterday or the day before and I saw somebody do it. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But they actually put their hands behind their backs for like a quick one second, like stretched and then moved them back up to the front. Now you're talking about like, like what is it called? Like a parade rest where you, you have like your hands crossed behind your back, like lower back, right? Or like hands yeah, in your like hands a, in your back pockets. Not in the back pockets, but behind. Yeah. But like a parade rest or more if you, military wise, like an at ease. Mm. Cause it's not so much, you know, planted there, but yeah, I don't know what other branches call it. So we call it in the Marines. Yeah. And you mentioned different cultures. Um, what about like, eye contact, you know, because I know in like certain Asian cultures do not like out of, out of respect, they don't look at people in the eye from like one culture to the next. Like, can you kind of give like a quick rundown of like, Hey, if you're talking to these folks, they probably are going to stare you straight in the eye. Like they, you know, and that's out of respect versus the ones that try to avoid that eye contact. Like what's, what are some of the big takeaways there? Yeah, that's I mean, every culture is different, but you, you hit it now on the head with the Asian cultures, many of which will avoid eye contact. I got a sister-in-law that's Korean, and she said she would never stare her at her parents in the face, especially if they were scolding her mm-hmm. when speaking with her, but it's considered defiance. Now, me, a half Irish, half Sicilian kid growing up in Jersey, my father was yelling at me. I looked away, and he'd be like, fucking look at me when I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? Because that sounds, that was disrespect. I couldn't be bothered to make eye contact. But other cultures, such as Korea, and it's not the only one. I mean, we could we could go for hours on culture alone that maintain eye contact. That's considered challenging, defiance. So that's something I talk about in classes with law enforcement. Just because someone's not looking at you doesn't mean they can't be bothered. It doesn't mean they're trying to be rude. And also doesn't mean they're being deceptive. There's a huge myth out there that people avoid eye contact when they're lying. Texas Christian University, this study, they sent out, it was 24, 2,500 people. They sent out surveys asking, do you believe that people maintain more or less eye contact when they're lying? 70% of those surveyed said they believe that people keep less eye contact when they're lying. So if you're part of that 70%, you're lying to somebody because everybody lies at some point, small lies, big lies. But if you're lying to somebody, what are you going to do? We're going to try to maintain more eye contact so you hope they believe you. There's even been some studies that show that people maintain more eye contact when they're lying because they want to see if you're buying into their bullshit. And this is something that goes back centuries. Mm. There's an ancient Indian Sanskrit. They have a drawing of a, a liar, and the picture of the liar shows him looking down and away. This is a huge thing that people believe. I mean, pretty much when you look at people, if you're trying to – use body language to assist in detecting deception. You're going to look for a change in baseline. But even if I've been talking to you for 10 minutes and I hit on a topic and all of a sudden you lose complete eye contact or you start giving me more, it doesn't mean you're lying. I got to start asking you more questions. Man, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about that whole concept of lying and like where people look and whatnot. And I think some of the best liars out there, they obviously rehearse and they know they, they do it well, right? Like I know people joke and they say like, Hey, lawyers are all liars. Right. And you know, some of them are, some of them are, most of them are. Um, but, uh, you know, I think about like how someone could train up to be a liar, you know, um, what are some of the things like aside from eye contact, speaking of liars, like you look for, if you're saying like someone's being deceptive, you know, is it the kind of nervous laughing? Is it the, um, you know, the, the momentary pauses, even like that one, like I just did where they're, they're kind of formulating an idea in their head, you know, is it maybe not just the lack of eye contact, but looking up, looking down, like what what are some things that you like, let's say, and let's guide this towards like a parent, right? Let's use it as a scenario. So you're a parent, your kid comes home, your kid's got like mud on their shoes. They say that, you know, they, everything's fine. Right. You know, and maybe maybe they've got like a bloody lip or something like that. Like, how do you detect that they're lying? Like, what are some things that a parent could look for? So as a parent, hopefully you've got a good baseline behavior, your child, what they do in, in most situations, especially a situation like that. But you could be accusing them of something and, and that changes their baseline behavior as well. 
when I use the word baseline, what I mean by that is how someone acts in a given set of circumstances before a stimulus is introduced. Mm-hmm. So the way they act when they're just sitting on the couch at home it might be different from when they come in. You said bloody nose, you know, like mud on their sneakers, like what happened? Because now they, they know they got explaining to do. But if you've come across this before, you notice behaviors they might have. Maybe they start a hard swallow during this thing when they're accused, but they didn't do anything wrong. Okay, you know that. A couple of things I like paying attention to if I'm speaking with somebody. We just brought up the shoulder shrugs, mm. possible uncertainty. So I ask you, I ask the kid, hey, so where where were you just at? I was at over at my friend Johnny's house. We just happened to walk through the woods on the way back, and I tripped and fell, and that's what happened with my nose. But while you're telling me this, I get a shoulder shrug or two. Oh, there's some uncertainty there. Are you not uncertain why I'm asking? Are you not uns- or are, I'm sorry. Are you uncertain why I'm asking? Are you uncertain what to tell me? And you bring up pauses. Now, pauses could be they're constructing something, but could also be remembering or figuring out a way how to describe something. Interesting. The other thing I like, yeah, other thing I like is rapid nose inhales, <laughs> just like that. Now, it could be someone has the sniffles. Now, if I've been talking to you for 20 minutes and you haven't done it at all, and then all of a sudden I ask you a specific question, you go. <laughs> Yeah, an answer. Well, I was at Johnny's house and this happened. This is why my, well, that's interesting. Maybe I need to ask more questions. It still doesn't mean you're lying. Could be a coincidence, could be just a physical reaction. But I'm going to ask more questions about that because why did that occur? Now, I'm always looking for groupings and clusters. If I ask you two, twice about exactly uh, like a same question, but asked a different way and I get that rapid nose inhale, well, no, definitely, excuse me definitely going to ask a lot more questions about that and again baseline behavior if i've been talking you've got the sniffles you can have allergies you can have a cold i did a uh, podcast with eric Baum, who does the interview interrogation classes for street cop mm-hmm. and he was the kind of similar question you just asked me about hey he's like what tells you like when you're you're dealing with people and i brought that up and i go but it wouldn't work on you today because you've already done it four times He's like, yeah, well, I got out, I got sinus issues today. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta baseline the behavior. There's just you know things like lip disappearances. What I mean by that, the lip margins rolling in, can often be a subtle expression of anger. I mean that could be frustration, annoyance, could be someone's furious and raged, and people don't even realize they're doing it. They're not like, oh, my lip margins just rolled in, and it's in response to the question you asked or something you show them. Show them a picture, show them their report card that you believe they might have, your kid might have altered, and you flash it in front of them, and those lips disappear. Well, that's interesting. Why would, why would that happen at that point when there's all A's on this report card? You know, there are <clears throat> a lot of people in, in, you know, not to talk ill of the dead, but the, the, the example that comes up in my head uh, when people say, like, well, what's a common or what's a, what's a, a, a famous case of someone who was on – on television and they were clearly lying. And the one that I've heard in the past was Kobe Bryant when he was accused of, of uh, sexual assault, he kept licking his lips over and over and over. And people were like, how many times could he lick his lips? It's, it's like, and, and listen, I'm not, I wasn't there with Kobe Bryant. I didn't know what, where, or when he did whatever, but like from appearances, it looked like the dude is nervous as all hell. And, and maybe there's something to be said about, you know, licking your lips and being nervous, kind of like that nose sniffle. Um, but do you have any examples of of cases like if the listener was like, man, I want to see someone lying or, or talking on on camera and they're lying and like you can see some of these these indicators or do you have one in your mind that you could you could pass on? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, going back to the Kobe thing, if he's like licking, licking his lips the entire time, it just be his baseline behavior stressed out. I mean, he's getting accused of something, let's say whether he did it or didn't, you're getting accused of rape. Mm-hmm. That's going to definitely a good chance. You're going to show some signs of discomfort, yeah. right? That's like, it's one of those things where people sit back and hindsight though, he's 2020. But one of the videos that I like it, if you look up Rosie Ruiz, who won, I'm, I'm doing air quotes right now for one, the, the Boston marathon back in the day, I think it was the eighties. If you watch her, I go over something class known as duping delight. Now, people do smile and laugh when they're nervous. There's something else known as narcissistic glee. Someone has a narcissistic personality, and they're getting attention. could be negative attention. 
and they smile, laugh about it. They're, they're happy about getting the attention, even though it's negative, such as someone sitting in a courtroom that's been found guilty of murder. Family members go up for this, before the sentencing to talk about how it's ruined. That person has ruined their life, that piece of shit that was found guilty. And that piece of shit sitting there smiling away, getting attention. It's negative attention, but smiling about it, finding happiness in that. So duping delight is someone's lying to you and they're finding pleasure in that and they start to laugh. So if you watch Rosie Ruiz during, if you go on YouTube, you can look it up. One of her press conferences, she starts to smile at one point, but then she drops her head down and like, like she knows she's not supposed to be smiling and just starts crying like a crocodile tears. Like, oh, she was later found that she had cheated on the Boston Marathon. I believe the New York one, too. Like she just jumped in the last minute and just spread it out. <laughs> oh, my God. What a dirt. Bag. Yeah. It's, you know, and we're looking for deception. Also looking for truthfulness. There's another video, Michael Dixon case in Ontario, Canada. This poor guy goes to work. Gets goes takes the bus to work, finishes up his day at work, takes the bus home, gets off the bus, and the cops scoop him up because in the area they had just chased somebody that had burglarized a jewelry store. And if you watch his head movements and a word he says when they, they say, Hey, we got you on video, we got we got witnesses, and he's like, Yes, head movements not up and down. And then they go, uh, one of them had a camera and he's immediately like, yes, his, his head movements are up and down. He moves his arm in towards himself. He goes, that's relieving. I'm moving that arm himself like to me. And then they go, uh, that's why your guilt isn't in question. And they start shaking his head left to right immediately. Like, no, how is that possible? I'm not on camera. I didn't do it. So they, it was a pretty interesting case. So if someone wants to look up a video, I would look up the Rosie Ruiz. I would also look up the Michael Dixon interview. You know, <clears throat> I'm thinking about all these different times that I've dealt with people, you know, in my lifetime. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know if that person's being honest with me, being deceptive with me. Um, you know, there's something about like someone learning how to lie and having that poker face. I mean, if someone wanted to, study this further? I mean, like, obviously you teach courses. Is there any like uh, recommended reading that, that you would say like, Hey, they need to, to like, look at this because it will help you just like negotiate the business world, uh, not get, you know, a, a shady mechanic pulling something, you know, on you. Like what are some additional resources? Obviously there's video there is talking to guys like you. There's going to some seminars like you, like there's gotta be books on this. Yeah. When it, if you, a lot of it's, if you are into the psychology of lying, there's a book called Telling Lies by Paul Ekman that is legit, probably at least the best book I've written, I've read on the psychology of lying. And it really gets in-depth, but I mean, it's, it's fucking dry, bro. It's dry. It's, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's very academic. You know what I mean? I need a little flair, but I, I just don't, I've read it and there's just so much info in there phenomenal basically what you're doing is when it comes to detecting deception if if someone says hey you know body language will let you know when someone's lying no it's going to let you know to start asking more questions at certain points it's not going to be like ding 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 oh they did this they had a wrapped nose inhale they must be lying but we use it as a tool right you kind of let me ask more questions about this or that i noticed this behavior at the certain time that's interesting maybe let me ask more questions. A lot of times you're looking for a comfort discomfort paradigm. So what I mean by that is something seems a little bit off and maybe the person's uncomfortable, but you don't know exactly why the person's uncomfortable. It might just be uncomfortable. You said the kid came home because they're afraid they're going to get yelled at because they do have those dirty sneakers. Yeah. And you know, they didn't do, they didn't get into a fight. They actually did fall and hit their nose. And they're also uncomfortable because they don't want you to take them to the doctor, things like that. But I'm, I'm turned around here looking at my bookshelf. There's a couple of you read You Can't Lie to Me by Janine Driver. That's a pretty easy read. If you've read Joe Navarro's What Everybody is Saying, that's a pretty easy read. As far as when it comes to detecting, well, sorry, assisting you in detecting deception or detecting comfort, discomfort. There's another book that's pretty interesting. I read called Crime Signals. This guy David Givens. 
but that goes more about pre more along the lines of detecting aggression as opposed to detecting deception. That's a perfect segue to what I want to ask you next, because you, you were describing at street cop, these, uh, pre-attack indicators. And I kind of just want to go from like the ground up, give like the cliff notes version of what someone can learn at one of your seminars. Um, you know, my background, I'm not law enforcement, but I've trained a lot in, in various martial arts. And we talk about proxemics. We talk about posturing, you know, open hands, closed hands, you know, pointing one finger versus four fingers with a knife hand, that type of thing. Like it, there are a lot of universals in, in life. And this might be one of the most useful things for someone who's taking, um, you know, self-defense into their own hands, right? Like maybe they're, they decide to strap on a pistol and, you know, they decide to start training in, in various combatives and whatnot. You know, how do you know how to avoid a fight or to de-escalate by identifying these indicators? So can we just talk about like some of the common pre-fight or pre-aggression indicators? Uh, what, what's the technical term that you use? Is it pre-attack indicators? Uh, yeah, I use pre-attack. Okay. It's also, I use the term detecting aggression. Okay. Because sometimes we know when someone comes up to you talking shit to you. Yeah. And they're like, you fight. Okay, well, guess what? This might be a fight. But there's people that are deceptive about it. Hey, can you tell me how to get to wherever? Meanwhile, they're putting on these behaviors where if you're locked in, you're like, wow, something's up here. This isn't a person that wants fucking directions to, to the nearest gas station. Um, so I'll go over a couple of those real quick. Blading. What do I mean by blading? You take a knife's blade. You put the flat end towards you. You turn it so that you're looking at the sharp end or the back end, what's happening. You're seeing less and less of the blade. And people do this with their bodies. They have a weapon on one side, the blade, the one foot will be back, the shoulder will be back on that side. Sometimes the torso will be twisted on that side. They don't want you to see the weapon. On top of that, it could be that they're getting ready to punch you because we usually don't stand with our feet and shoulder width apart in line with each other and throw a punch. We have that one foot dropped back. So three types of blading I go over, one being slight, where it's pretty much what I just described, one foot slightly back, shoulder back on one side. Then there's no, the prominent blade. Someone's giving you their shoulder. They're perpendicular to you. It's almost like a right angle. Good chance they get a weapon on that side. You talk about proxemics, get someone distancing, going towards that side, distancing away from you. They could be drawing a weapon. You see that all the time body cam videos with law enforcement before someone draws a weapon on them and then the enhanced blade enhanced blade being one hand inside the pocket and the body bladed the other hand doing what's known as illustrating speech or pacifying themselves what i mean by that is someone that's how we deal with everyday stress people scratch themselves play with clothing things of that nature if i get someone blading towards their right side or to their left and there's a hand in the pocket on that side the other hand's moving around talking to me let's I'm going to be very cautious dealing with that person. I have a plan. Am I going to gain proximal distance myself away? Am I going to, if you conceal carry, am I going to have my hand on my weapon? I'm going to be prepared to deal with this person. I'm not going to be looking away from them and, and lose sight of them and just start looking off in the distance thinking about what movie I'm going to rent tonight. <laughs> that person, good chance they come up to you asking you for, oh, can I get a dollar? And they're saying, like, can I get this? Can I get, whoa, I don't know you. Why are you coming up on me like this? And why, especially? Are you standing in enhanced blade? And the other thing I, I go over a lot is the pants lift. When do we see this? When well, law enforcement sees it, when people are about to take off running a lot. And hopefully, most of you, if you're out and you see this, it's most likely going to be someone, either their pants are fucking falling down or they might want to attack you. It would be pretty fucking shitty if you got that boring of a personality where you're worried about people taking off running on you, right? So probably not something you're going to worry about. But the pants lift you see all the time pre-attack. You just brought up what the, the Instagram video I showed mm -hmm. with the officer. You see people lift their, front, their pants up in the front, the side, and the back before they fight or run. Cops do this too. Cops will show up, oh, we got 30 people fighting in the club. Cops meet up one area, get out, your law enforcement listening to this, think about it. you look over, you'll see other cops lifting their duty belt up. A duty belt ain't going anywhere. There's keepers on it. But people do this all the time before they fight. Another one, looking over the shoulder or the look away. You got someone standing in front of you, looking away from you for a second, what are you gonna be thinking? 
they're oh, they're not a threat right now. They're not even looking at me. No, they've already looked at you. They don't want you to see it coming when they attack you. They don't say to themselves, look away so they don't see it coming, but it's a behavior you see over and over and over again. Also a pre-flight indicator for those that are you that are law enforcement. But again, hopefully you're not that fucking boring where people are looking for an escape route to run away from you when you're talking to them. Something that not just we do, you'll see the great apes do this shit as well. If you watch gorillas, they perform a lot of the same behaviors we do. If you watch them, but before they fight, they'll throw their, uh, they don't throw, they move their, their chin over towards the shoulder, they're looking over to the side, and they'll actually run towards each other before they fight. Something that, if you got someone in front of you, they could be closing a distance, you're in a parking lot, you're about to go inside the mall, someone's like, hey, hey, can I ask you a question? They come towards you, they're looking over the shoulder, well, I'm be locked the fuck in on this person. Especially if I see more than one behavior. I see that pants lift. I see the look over the shoulder while you're coming towards me. Well, I'm better fucking, hey, put your fucking phone away. Have your hands up, ready to go. Your enhanced blading that you talk about, like I've just been thinking about this, like running scenarios in my head um, because we talk in our personal security classes about letting people in too close. And then you watch these videos of people getting sucker punched all the time. And sucker punches all have a similar formula, right? Like there's there's always like oscillation, or like, like an oscillating fan. And there's misdirection, like you said, like one hand waving or pointing or whatever, the other hand coming low line, below eye level, and then coming, you know, from your peripheral. Um, all of this sounds like, like if you see that, that behavior, like increase a little bit of distance. Um, I mean, I, I think there are so many, so many cases of, of that happening that people just didn't know, like to look for, for that until you bring it up in that way, giving it a, like giving that that behavior an actual name, right? Enhanced blade, um, looking for exits, you know, that type of thing. You know, you see people do that all the time, you know, especially if they watch like Jason Bourne movies, right? Like, you know, I can tell you which exit, you know, is this and how many cars in the parking lot have this license plate. Like people want to get into this stuff. Um, I think, I think it's interesting that like the criminal world, they all do this. They're not talking to each other, but it's just universal, right? Like they, they just do this type of stuff. Um, I mean, what would be your tip or what would be your suggestion for, for cops, uh, or security or whoever, like if they are outnumbered, like, is there anything that you would say, like there's group, uh, behavior to identify? Because like so far we've just been talking about individuals, but like, what if there's, there's, I mean, obviously cops are almost always outnumbered, but what if they're like truly outnumbered in a location and things are about to pop off. Is there something that people could look for or should be cued into? Like, this is the type of thing, like things are about to get bad. That's a great question. Cause I really, I usually stick to dealing with one person at a mm. time dealing with for, for pre-attack indicators. But um, so you get that person that's looking over another direction. Is there, could we do what's known as foreshadowing and looking towards, they're going to go grab some, but are they looking for their partner? That's going to come yeah. up behind you. Yeah. And there's a great book on, and you said like Gilmar, you know, describe this to yourself. It's, it's pretty much what we're doing is articulating to ourselves so we can recognize it quicker. Hey, I know what this is. I know this is an enhanced blading. And there's a book called Left of Bang. Yeah. That's written by, you familiar Var, with Var, Varg Freeborn, right? I'm sorry? His name's Varg uh, Freeborn, right? Um, I don't know. It's two Marine officers. Oh, no, no. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of something else. Yeah, go ahead. Let me see. Patrick Van Horn and Jason Riley. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's and they go into a lot of the the intuition, which if you read the gift gift of fear, same thing. Like, or you get something that comes up to you, enhanced blading, you might be like, oh, this doesn't feel right. But if you can articulate it to yourself and say, hey, I'm noticing this behavior, I definitely have to do something. Mm -hmm. Whether it's gain that proximate distance or have my hand on my weapon, get your mace ready, figure whatever your plan is. I'm not a defensive tactics instructor, right? You got to have, you got to have a fucking plan. And when you can articulate it to yourself, you give yourself that extra second or maybe two or three. So the left of bang really goes into when you're in situations that there's more than one person, things that are out of the norm. Think about it. You go to your gas station what do most people do at a gas station? Well, in Jersey, we don't pump our own fucking gas, so we don't even get out of the car. But you go to a gas station, people are going in and out. You get your coffee, you go. You go in, you go out. People that are milling around, what are you milling around for? 
are you waiting for your friends who to drop off the video game you borrowed impossibility or you could be there because you're waiting for your fucking drug dealer or you're waiting for a victim you're waiting to fucking carjack somebody you're waiting for your friend who's around the corner to come out when you pick up on a, a decent target of someone to rob these things are out of the norm you go to places or if you go to a gas station and you're used to people are always in a certain situation there's always two clerks that you see as soon as you walk in in the front of the store you go there one day well they're not there why is that is a place being robbed and they're tied up in the back Hmm. why is there that change in what you usually see i mean a lot of left of bang has to do with things that were going on in iraq like you you know anyone that's been in in iraq or afghanistan you start going into a village that there's usually all the kids are out that day everybody's out and now you go through there's nobody there that's the eeriest fucking feeling in the world you're like you know do they plant ieds or double stack anti-tank mines today and that's why these kids are, are not on the street because the locals know it's one of those you're looking for those changes in environment and that intuition being able to describe it to yourself, why you feel that way. The, uh, the book I was thinking of was, uh, violence of mind, uh, by Varg freeborn. So I, I screwed up on that one. I'll own it. I didn't drink enough coffee today. I drove seven hours yesterday from Florida back to, to North Carolina. So I'm pretty spent. So, uh, shit happens, whatever. Um, but yeah, the, uh, I always think that with like the group, because, you know, there's that expression, my buddy, uh, John Brown, he's a former, uh, NYPD detective, he would always say where there's one, there's two, right? And as a cop, if you don't remember where there's one, there's two, you know, someone could say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to drop the weapon versus I'm going to drop all of my weapons, you know, and just that expression, right? Like, Hey, he dropped the weapon, but does he have another, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like where there's one attacker, like you said, like, Hey, you go in and you see one person in a store versus the two that are normally there. Okay track on that. But if you're dealing with someone, where's their buddy, right? And until you establish that they're working alone, assume that there's two, um, you know, and you see this with, with this footage, like out of New York of, I mean, a couple of years back, it was the knockout game, right? Like you'd see like three kids mm-hmm. accosting a person and then the one coming out of the alley and cracking them from, from the side, you know, like you would see that all the time. So I, I just, I worry about where the hell society's going. If that's how kids are getting their rocks off these days, you know? Um, have you heard anything? I mean, you're from, you know, from Jersey, I mean, from New York, like if anyone wants to travel there, what's like the current trend that maybe isn't making the news or it is that like people should be aware of (laughs) a lot of, it's not a personal safety issue, but there's a lot of catalytic converters and car thefts Mm -hmm. and car thefts have been through the roof because you know, the, the state of New Jersey and their infinite wisdom decided (laughs) in January of 2022 that you weren't going to be able to steal stolen, uh, I'm sorry, you weren't going to be able to chase stolen cars. Then it got so bad and so many cars were getting stolen that they were like, okay, you could do that now. But you know, the, the, the barn doors already been open. The horses are out. There's just, there's so many stolen cars. Uh, my concern would be getting carjacked. I mean, not that carjackings, it's usually thefts to the high-end vehicles later on, but my concern would be in my driveway, parking my car, taking your valet key out. I mean, just, just because you're pulling into your, your driveway, your home doesn't mean you're safe. You're outside your house. So that's a concern. The, the other thing that's been an issue is they're going inside houses now trying to get the keys. So you don't, where traditionally, at least from my experience in New Jersey, most burglaries occur when no one's home. Now you got people going to your fucking house at night trying to get your keys. That's a major issue. So even even though you're in your home doesn't mean you're safe. You know, get the alarm, get the German shepherds, get the guns, protect yourself. Um, but cars seem to be uh, a major issue here. Yeah. The, there's an expression we always use where we say like you're weakest in transition, right? And it's just a concept where you do have those driveway carjackings where people are, are like, Hey, I'm home and they let their guard down, but they're not inside their castle wall, so to speak, right? They're not inside the house yet. Or, you know, you see people, they close their, their swing gate to their beautiful, uh, you know, gated community. And there's that creep that sneaks in just at the last moment and then robs the person as they get out of their car. Um, 
you know, even like just to explore that concept more, you know, for folks out there that do like rifle to pistol transitions, think about that for a moment, you don't have anything in your hands that can affect your adversary. So you're weakest in that moment until you get another tool into the fight. So that transition concept, when you're going from your, you know, even if you're, you're going from like the slow lane to the passing lane, when you're crossing over, there's a chance you hit the car on the blind side because you're weakest in transition. Like, uh, I, I think about, I think about those ideas all the time. Like I tell people, like when you get to your home, you should have lights that are in your driveway, not just illuminating, you know, the driveway, but also illuminating onto the house. Um, you know, the directional light and stuff like that. What advice do you have for folks? Um, and I'm not sure if this is your wheelhouse. It sounds like it is though. What advice do you have for folks to avoid or to strengthen their home um, and like their procedure getting in and out of their house and, you know, like, oh, it sounds like you got that in the background right now. Um, what, <laughs> what, what, uh, yeah. So what, what advice do you have for just like home security? Like if there is a listener who maybe doesn't want to, you know, go the route of, okay, I can't own a firearm. I can't, uh, I'm, I'm smaller stature. I'm elderly, whatever. Like what kind of universals would you recommend for improving your security around your home and your car? So I'm going to give the disclaimer. Like you said, this is outside my expertise, but I'll tell you what I believe in. Mm -hmm. I believe in layers of security. I've always been security minded. You go military, Iraq, police, very security, security minded. And my thing is having layers. So obviously the one layer is going to be what you've got your locked doors. I couldn't tell you how many people don't lock their fucking doors. <laughs> I got called the one time there was a guy that had walked into somebody's house, just opened the front door. He was high as hell. And just ended up in front of the house, started, went in, grabbed the, I forget what kind of snack it was, might have been like uh, Chex Mix or something, and starts feeding it to the, the Siberian Husky inside the house as well. And they're like, there's someone in our house. It's like, what? This is weird. You know, you go to the call and it ends up being somebody that was high out of their mind, just stumbled into their, to the house. So first off, lock your fucking doors. But dude, Sean, Sean, hold on, hold on. Like these things never happen here. How many times have you heard that? <laughs> they never happen here. Well, again, I got someone that was living in, in the projects where it was the, um, you know, the, the low income housing thing. And they're like, the car got stolen because they started. I can't believe this happened here. What, what, <laughs> <laughs> you, you left your car running in an area that has a decent amount of crime. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Like you said, it never, and it's, I live in a, a nicer uh, town right now. And it's, it's, it's easy pickings for someone to come in and just take stuff because it's one of those, this never happened here. Um, you know, it's no, no, <laughs> but yeah, locking the doors, then like layers. Like for me, I got two German shepherds that are trained. I used to do shoots on, which is, uh, I don't know if, people that aren't familiar with it. it's a dog sport where the dogs can bite on command they can track they can do obedience now, i'm not concerned about tracking really anymore but more like a personal protection type thing one dog's my former partner he was bred to do you know patrol work but we only used him for scent detection but i got these two dogs here which is also a deterrent it's like another layer then if you have firearms i understand you're saying well people like, oh, i can't have firearms i have I'm elderly. Well, you're going to want to put, have that alarm too. Not just the alarm, but the alarm where you can hit the button. And depending on where you live, you might get a much slower response compared to where I live in New Jersey, where it's densely populated and there's cops working. You might work or the cops are busy that night. You know, it's one of those things. If, if you can't take it upon yourself to defend yourself, at least, and even if you are, you'll say you fucking, you're in a fucking dojo every day. You can fight real well. Well, guess what? I'm not going to have that, uh, that ego either that I don't need to reach out to the cop. Well, you might need to. If you've got three people storming your house and have your guns in a place that's obviously safe but ready to go at the same time, and, you know, that's a delicate balance. We could probably talk about that for freaking three hours. Where would you keep your guns, mm. especially if you've got children in the house? Yeah, I think there, there are is no doubt there's a lot of ego in the self-defense world, right? Like, especially martial artist guys, like this is the best martial art out there. It's like, well, you might want to cross train because we could find holes in every martial art that there is. 
Um, and same thing with the gun guys, right? Like this is all I need for what circumstance, right? I got to find a circumstance where it's not going to be all you need. Um, so people just need to keep an open mind. Um, but one, one thing I want to ask you because we're, we're running along here, um, you know, at street cop, it seemed like there was a lot of fun that was being poked at Dennis. Um, and like I said, at the start of the, the, the podcast, I love this dude. He, he, we met him and within the first five minutes, I'm like, I could hang out with this guy. <laughs> he's, he's an interesting guy. Do you have any Dennis stories from your interactions with him? They're all, yeah, they're all <laughs> highly confidential. Yeah. That's what I figured. Is there any that you could share though? <laughs> I'm trying to think we, I mean, we used to go out all the time. Like we, we worked when we were partners, we were partners for about a year. We, we really work for, yeah, yeah. We were partners over a decade ago on patrol. So we would, we would work together for four days and then we'd go out partying for like three days. You know, we were young in our late twenties, you know, just no kids at the time running amok, just going out, you know, down the shore, pumping fists, you know, to the techno music yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Specifics to, oh, here's a good one. <laughs> I, <laughs> the first time I met Dennis, he he showed up at the academy I was at, and this dude's he's got um painted on shirt almost. His his sleeves were so tight, and he had a mohawk, like a legit mohawk, when he was when he was uh, when I first met him, which was pretty funny. And like we showed up to one class up in North Jersey. Me and him used to go to a lot of classes together on our own time and our own dime too. It just was what, it, you know, if you didn't get sent somewhere when you first got started, you know, you didn't have that time. They, they wouldn't send you to every class you want to go to. And we were really proactive and we wanted to do stuff and learn things. So we, we showed up one place. Uh, traffic gets really fucking shitty in Jersey, especially if you're going north. So we went somewhere that should have been a 45 minute drive turned into like an hour 45. So we show up like 25, 30 minutes late. Everybody's in there and they're like polo shirts and like dressed well. But in our mindset, you know, we're paying for this our own time, own dime. And we walk in, he's got the faux hawk, like painted on medium t-shirt, shorts on. I'm in, in like jeans and a t-shirt. And everybody's, it was like the fucking, the record stopped when we walked in. Or, you know what I mean? Just yeah, you had to see the mohawk. He actually brought it up to Nashville that maybe he'll bring it back, which I hope he does. Man, I'll tell you, he, uh, he, he's got this like larger than life personality, but everyone that I talked to, uh, at street cop, they all said that he's got like a heart of gold, you know, and you know, what you see is what you get with him. Like he's a, he's a genuine dude. Um, and I think just listening to all the, the law enforcement that were there in that room from all over the country, they all came saying like, we don't get enough good training and it's awesome seeing that he's he's bringing like-minded folks together in the same room. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's a good dude. Um, what's your favorite thing about street cop? I like the, the audience, the, the cops that are part of the groups and when mm -hmm. they come to classes, they're like highly motivated, ready to go. I mean, Dennis put together an amazing company and it's, and it's more than that, obviously when it comes to the Facebook group and the, the being able to share information it's just the the reach nationally. You know, I go out to the West Coast. And there's there's cops that really follow street cops same way on the East Coast. It's just, and we really did a great job of building a, a nationwide company and probably pretty soon international. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, where can people find you? Because obviously, like this is just the the tip of the iceberg. You spoke for ninety minutes. We've been going for about fifty. Um, and there's a lot more that you have to offer. And in your presentation at street cop, you had, you know, videos and you, I mean, it was way more than just this podcast. So where can people find you if they want to train more with you or get more resources that you offer? Um, how can they do that? You go on Instagram and get me at Sean Grogan body language, S E A N G R O G A N body language. On top of that, you can reach me at my street cop email. Sean Grogan at streetcop.com. I also have my own website because before I joined up with Street Cop, I, I was doing classes for a couple of years before that under a business called One Face, and I'll still do things with the general public from that as well. So that's O N E F A C E, the word training.com, and you can find me on there. Every once in a while, I'll do something for the general public. I did a one hour webinar. It was inexpensive. It was about $35. 
And I had people from around the world do that. A lot of martial arts enthusiasts and instructors. I, mean, I had someone from, it was either Denmark or Holland. I always get those two confused, even though I know they're completely different countries. Man, so you're all over. Where's your next uh, presentation going to be? I'm going to the luxurious state of Delaware this week. Even <laughs> leaving tomorrow, but then I'm then I'm actually going to real nice places. Not just shit on Delaware, but it's like Jersey's little little brother. Dude, know, it's not really I was gonna a, say not to shit on Delaware. We've been shitting on Jersey all day today, and uh, you know I could I could shit on Connecticut <laughs> the rest of my life. But uh, yeah, it sounds it sounds like you're getting around and you're you're spreading some good good work. So I'm sure that's really appreciated, and I appreciate having you on the podcast and. Uh, Hopefully we'll see you next year in Orlando, right? That's the next three cup. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Should be good. Orlando, I'm, I'm, and the year after it looks like it's going to be the great state of Texas. So um, oh, I, yeah. I love going to Texas. I'll be excited to be there again. Hell yeah. Well, I'm going to go grab another cup of coffee. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for, for joining us here. And uh, again, I appreciate your time and everything that you're doing for, you know, good men and women out there in blue. Thanks, bro. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You got it. All right, guys, this has been the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. Thank you for listening.